Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 436 featuring Hanno Bass, who is uh, the current CTO of Digital Domain, a really amazing guy, has an incredible career, uh, really has been uh, part of the media and entertainment uh, technology front for a, for, a, for a very long time. During his time at HBO, he was one of the people that sort of led the effort to an HDR standard, which we can now see on our TVs. And thank you very very much because I think HDR is such a, such a great benefit uh, to the experiences that I'm seeing on television. So I uh, really love the fact that he was able to lead some of that effort there. Uh, he was also part of Microsoft Azure for a while. And we talked a lot about cloud stuff and now currently a digital domain, as I mentioned. Uh, so we talk a lot about what's going on at DD and especially with digital humans. And as you know, they've been involved in digital humans for a long, long time and sort of talked about some of the ideas going on there. Obviously, there's a lot of AI tools that they've been using in that realm for a while. And we talk a lot about that, as well as understanding how to overcome some of the controversies or what some of those controversies are around AI tools uh, and goes through that process and discussing that. We go a lot into real time, a, a subject that I am very, very excited about, as you guys know. So uh, that was really cool to be able to have that discussion with him as well. Uh, okay, we do have a couple of good announcements. There's a lot of actually product stuff that's been announced in the last few weeks, so I want to make sure to recap some of those. Um, first of all, uh, Phoenix 5 Update 2 has been out, so go check that out. And uh, V-Ray 6 for Houdini Update 1 has been out. And something that I'm very excited about, Vantage 2 is out. Uh, I'm not actually going to talk about the features in that. In fact, Vantage 2, next week, uh, I will be talking to Simeon uh, about that uh, because we will just do a whole episode about Vantage to a product that I am super excited about. Uh, so make sure and tune in next week to find out a little more what's going on with Vantage and all the special things that we are excited about. Uh, I do also want to announce one more thing. We do have a special going on right now uh, for cloud credits, and this is going on through August 16th. So if you'd like to check this out, just go to chaos.com and there's an offer uh, at the top of the page. It will give you our special prices that we have for Chaos Cloud. So go ahead and check that out. And remember, those will end on August 16th. There's a couple of events that I am going to be going to, which I'd love to see you at. I will be at SIGGRAPH LA, as a lot of people will be. And I'm very excited because it is SIGGRAPH's 50th anniversary. So if you're going to be in LA, August 6th through 10th at SIGGRAPH, make sure and let us know. We would love to see you and if you, you know, talk about other things uh, as well. Uh, I'm also going to be going to the Rainbow Conference, which is part of SIGGRAPH, but that's going to be in London. August 9th, uh, 29th through the 31st, and I'm actually going to give a talk on the 31st, uh, and I'm very excited about that as well. So if you're going to be in London and part of the Rainbow Conference, go check that out as well. Uh, okay, now, if people want to know more about the podcast, of course, you can always just go to uh, our podcast page, which is uh, uh, chaos.com slash cggarage. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast. And of course, you can always watch us, and that is going to be at youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv, where we host all our videos, include the podcast, including the podcast, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and if you have ideas of other podcasts you'd like to hear or comments about anything, always email us. I'd love to hear your suggestions. We've been getting some great ones recently, so please keep them coming. It's labs at chaos.com. But for now, please enjoy episode number 436 with Hanno Bass. Welcome to another CG Garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion 
is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. I know. Thank you so much for, for being on. Uh, you know, it's there's a lot to discuss in terms of technology, visual effects, and where everything is going today. Uh, and I think you're the perfect person to answer some of these questions. But yeah. before we do that, let's sort of give people a little... Uh, um, insight as to uh as to yourself and how you got involved and how you've you know become a cto and your interest in technology where, where did all this come from yeah so i've actually been in the entertainment industry for a long time uh yeah i'm originally from germany and, and i moved to uh here to los angeles in 1997 to work for a company called direct tv so and i came from television in germany and so I worked there for a while, and then uh, then I became the CTO at 20th Century Fox in in 2012. So, because yeah. you know, this old saying, you know, what's the point of living in LA if you're not in the movie business? And so, <laughs> I figured I'd do that. And so, uh, I, I was the CTO at 20th Century Fox for seven years, which was really. What was good. your responsibilities at 20th Century Fox? I mean, as a CTO, what were some of the things you were looking at? Uh, yeah, so I was mostly focusing actually on uh, product innovation. Uh, on the home entertainment uh, side, as well as uh, theatrical distribution and production. Okay. Uh, so on home entertainment, for example, uh, we worked on uh, high dynamic range standards for televisions and for distribution of, of movies that way. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm part of you know uh, the, the the group that actually made high dynamic range happen uh, in in people's homes and is now being used. Uh, especially by the streamers, uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime, for example, they, they and, and HBO actually to a, to a large degree as well, uh, distribute a lot of stuff in uh, in the home and HDR. Uh, same thing for uh, theatrical distribution. So worked uh, a lot on that. Um, also, again, high dynamic range in the theater, uh, but a number of other things there as well, security related. Uh, and then content protection, content security was a big part of my portfolio there as well. But uh, the last, I'd say, three, four years has spent a lot of time on production uh, elements, uh, especially next generation visual effects and also how uh, visual effects, traditional digital visual effects, how they're being impacted by real-time technology, you know, game engines, uh, Unreal, Unity. So you must have been involved during some of the Avatar production at that point, right? And on 20th Century Fox. <laughs> So I joined uh, shortly after the first Avatar was released, I, I right. joined in 2012, uh, and I was uh, somewhat, a little bit, not much, a little bit involved in the pre-production of, of the new, uh, uh, you know, Avatars, but then, you know, uh, Disney took over in 2019, sure. so that's four years ago, and so when, really when they started going into production big time, I wasn't there anymore. But were you into, I mean, you must, did you have some time in terms of virtual production in terms of some of the, some of the things that were going on there as well? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, clearly there were two parts of, of, um, producing Avatar or actually several parts, but the, the two main parts in terms of live, live action capture, they, they first, uh, spend, I want to say in a, a year and a half here in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. uh, to do all the motion capture and performance capture. So right. all the Navi, you know, uh, 
um, you know, in creatures and all that. That was all shot here in LA. Mm-hmm. And then they were adding the live action component, you know, where actually you see real people acting. Right. Uh, that was all done in, in New Zealand. Um, so they ha- had started the motion capture while, while we were still uh, all there at Fox. But then when they went to New Zealand, that was during COVID, I, I wasn't involved in that anymore. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm, I, I'm curious. I mean, I know that, you know, 20th Century Fox, not just Avatar, but 20th Century Fox, just before the acquisition was very, very, as you were mentioning, extremely interested in real-time technology and virtual production. Mm-hmm. I think Glenn yeah. Derry's group was involved in there. Oh, yeah, was- we, we worked with him a lot, yeah. Uh, and, and really what, uh, what we were trying to do there, actually, from a studio technology perspective, was to figure out how, how does this convergence actually happen between traditional visual effects and, and real-time game engine technology? Because uh, uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the things that, that we were looking at at the time was, uh, you know, h- how can you economically create, you know, more of a transmedia experience? So you have mm-hmm. an example like Avatar. You know, people see this world, Pandora, and it's great, and it's, it's really interesting. And uh, how can we actually figure out ways to have people, you know, ex- experience this world and explore this world on their own, even after the, the movie is is long, long, long done. Uh, and so that was part of what we were trying to figure out. And actually, we were working with with Glenn on on a movie called The, the Call of the Wild. Yeah. Uh, with, with Harrison Ford. And there, you know, they, they created a lot of, uh, you know, visual effects creatures, all the dogs, the environments, and they had like an, a whole environment of the Yukon, uh, valley actually uh, several kilometers uh, square kilometers of it all in uh, all in a game engine all in unreal and we were trying to figure out okay can you take this and turn it into an immersive experience you know that lives on beyond beyond the movie and we did similar work uh, on uh, on the uh, planet of the apes uh, franchise where we worked with uh, weta digital uh, mm-hmm. in, in new zealand to take characters from Planet of the Apes and 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 migrate them into into an unreal experience. And we actually did pretty well. We had a you know a very believable version of Caesar in in Unreal at, at 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 some point. And that actually opened you know my my interest in in visual effects in more general. And actually, that's it's a big reason why I'm here now at the at Digital Domain because I I think in terms of production technology and the evolution of production technology. Visual effects is where it's at. Uh, right. It's you know uh, AI. Where we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about all this in a minute. Oh yeah. Um, you know AI technology has having a huge impact here. Real time technology, virtual production, and on and on it goes. And and actually, one thing that interests me here is is you know we're in the visualization business here at Digital Domain, right? That's mm-hmm. that's what we know how to do. And I think longer term. There is probably even, you know, a ton of non-entertainment applications for this types of technology, you know, simulations, uh, virtual humans and all that. Um, Yep. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I want to get into all of that, which will be mm-hmm. <laughs> a potpourri <laughs> of technology that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm very interested in that. But let's, 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 let's continue with your history and we can jump around with some of these yes. different ideas. So uh, you, didn't go from, you didn't go from Fox to Digital Domain. You had, a, you, you had another stop along the way, right? Yeah, I worked for uh, Microsoft uh, on the Azure team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is their, their cloud platform. 
uh, and we were trying to figure out how to build a uh, media and entertainment practice right. uh, on Azure. Um, and so that was actually really interesting for me uh, as well because I learned a lot about cloud technology and what it is and what it isn't, and you know where where it's really applicable, uh, you know, in, in our industry and where you know, you know, there's a little bit more myth than than truth. Uh, right. Uh, but 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 I think there's there actually, actually the the takeaway from that was there is actually plenty of applicability of of cloud technology uh, in our in our business. It's just yeah, you know, it's never black and white with any technology that we're applying. You know, in our trade, people often, you know, you know, think, oh, this is it. This is going to change everything, and we're only going to do it this way now. Like with virtual production, for example, in the future, everything is going to be shot in front of LED walls. Sure. Uh, but in reality, that's never the case. It's mm-hmm. always just another tool in the toolbox, and there are certain things where this tool works really well, and there's other things where the old tools are actually still better so or, yeah. or more applicable. And uh, and I think that was the same with uh, cloud technology. Uh, you know, rendering in the cloud that makes a ton of sense. Sure. Um, you know, because you can, you, you don't constantly have to refresh your your render infrastructure, right? You just take the latest and greatest that's that's in the cloud today. You use this, uh, you know, this this uh, SKU, which is called self keep uh, shelf keeping unit. It's a mm-hmm. retail term. It's yeah. like this particular virtual machine and this particular platform. And then two weeks from now, they have a new one. Okay, you just switch over to that. That's yeah. it's, it's very straightforward. Uh, whereas, you know, if you do this on-prem, then, you know, you're always looking at the capital. Outlay and, and the maintenance and, <laughs> and the cooling and yeah, the real yeah, estate. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and all that, the, the IT overhead to run it. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, I found it fascinating. I mean, I mean, the, the thing, you know, I was sort of, you know, 10, 10 15 years ago, we were looking, everyone's looking mm-hmm. at cloud platforms, and mm-hmm. they were thinking about what it's going to do. And it was like, no, it's too expensive. Security's never going to be right. And now yeah. it seems that all of those questions have been, uh, you know, answered, and people just use them and ramp up and ramp down as they need, right? Yeah. And then actually, while I was at 20th Century Fox, uh, uh, we were part of an organization called Movie Labs, which is an R&D organization uh, 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 sponsored by the, at that time, the six major studios. And uh, they wrote a paper. It's the, it's a very famous, in our industry at least, for tech geeks here, uh, the Movie Labs 2030 paper, which was all about, uh, you know, my, the, com- the industry migrating to the cloud. Right. And uh, I helped uh, write it with a few others. Uh, and so there we kind of, outlined, okay, what the expectations of the studios uh, were going to be in terms of uh, utilization of the cloud. Um, and uh, and also, you know, what our execution around cloud would look like. And, and I actually would say, so this was published in 2019. I actually think a lot of the things uh, have come to pass that we, that we outlined there. Uh, okay. Some of them were kind of forced upon us uh, during the COVID pandemic, you know, where sure. everybody had to work from home and remote access and, and remote work became a thing. Um, and and that, that that clearly, those aspects are, are here to stay. And by the way, I mean, security in the cloud is not an issue. It hasn't been an issue for a very long time. I mean, they, they support, you know, clients like healthcare and, you know, the sure. banking system, you know, banking and, and even the you know, Department of Defense, you know, runs stuff in yeah. on the Microsoft Cloud, for example. And uh, you know, all these things need to be secure. Um, 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was interesting that the the transition. What do you think was the biggest transition that was that allowed them to happen? Obviously, there's misinformation or not enough information about how the cloud works or understanding mm-hmm. that in terms yeah. of security, as you were mentioning, was yeah. one of them. Uh, obviously, necessity <laughs> that happened yeah. with COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, but what about the actual the actual cost? Like, is there a ca- thing something where the cost suddenly became made more sense for it to work in the cloud? Yeah, I think uh, and that was one of the you know really main. Uh, jobs that I had at, at, at Microsoft when I was there is explain to our studio customers, you know, the concept of this uh, of of the total cost of ownership, mm-hmm. and really what all goes in there. So if you just look at, uh, okay, I'm going to rent this virtual machine here with you know this this uh, so and so many CPU cores and so and so much RAM and so and so much uh, so this particular GPU and so on and so forth. Uh, Typically, if you just look at it like that in isolation, buying it and using it on-premise is going to be the less expensive option. But then sure. you look into, okay, how many of those do I need? Like, for example, in our case here at Digital Domain, we have a lot of artists that use workstations, right, like that. And uh, But our demand for artists kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. You know, right now with, with everything going on in the industry, there's a little bit of an ebb here in terms of, you know, how much work we, we all get to do. Uh, and so cloud infrastructure really helps you adapt to this very quickly. So you don't have a lot of unused infrastructure sitting there. And at right. the same time, and we know it's going to pick back up later this year, uh, when that happens, okay, then you just throw you know, a number of your workstations into the cloud and you're, very, you're able to react very quickly. And then so, so you, that clearly needs to go into the equation. And then also, you know, the fact that you're not using this these workstations 24-7, and sometimes you're only working, using them for a week or two or a month or two, you know, that all makes this a lot palatable. And you you are also uh, trading, uh, you know, uh, CapEx versus OpEx, right? right. And, you know, and especially the visual effects business is not known uh, for its richness in, in terms <laughs> of capital. Right. And so having the, the option to trade CapEx versus OpEx is actually an interesting one as well, especially when you have to go over it quickly. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, so our, I mean, I know obviously rendering, rendering yeah. itself is, yeah. makes a lot of sense to happen in yeah. that situation. Yeah. Uh, but our workstations are also starting to happen in that situation. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Very clear. I mean, rendering, that's the prime example because and we just recently had a number of deliveries all in parallel and uh, where, you know, our internal or on-prem render farm just wasn't big enough. Okay, we actually burst into Azure, no problem, Uh, you know, and then now, you know, that's kind of over with. So, okay, so we don't have that uh, expenditure, you know, we're done. We're back on our on-prem form. It's it's big enough again now. So for that, I think the cloud is is great. And also, if you have to get stuff done very quickly, okay, you just spin up a number of, of these render nodes in parallel, you can still get like stuff that would take hours on our farm. If we really wanted to, we can get it done in minutes. Right. Like we just need to spin up enough nodes uh, in the cloud. Uh, yeah. So so you have that option as well. And then like with rendering, there's all kinds of things that you can play with in terms of the licenses that you need uh, and so on and so forth. So if you serialize more of your, um, of your render jobs, but they get, all get done very quickly because you're still, you know, using a number of nodes here, you can play with that too. Uh, and, and save costs that way. So it's, yeah, you just have to really look at it 
you know, in a, from a bit, you have to approach it in a, in a pretty wide field of view, like a fairly big picture. Yeah. Uh, and also the other thing, by the way, with the cloud is that you can't just take whatever you have on-prem and lift and shift it into the cloud. I mean, you can clearly do that and it'll keep you in business, but at the same time, you're not really reaping the benefits of working in the cloud. So you really need to think about how your pipeline needs to be architect architected so it makes sense in the cloud and what tools and what services do I, do I use? Right. Uh, and so right. But it you, sounds like you're still somewhat of a hybrid situation where you have some on-prem and you have the other one as well. Right? Yeah, and I, I don't believe that that's going to go away. I actually right. think it's going to stay because okay. it's just another tool in the toolbox and there are certain things where yep. on-prem is actually better. Yeah, so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So so you got to digital domain, uh, what is it, last year, 2022? Last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so what was that transition like to sort of work in, in, a, in a pure visual effects house uh, at that time? Well, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, a visual effects company is still a studio, yep. right? Uh, I mean, we're kind of work for hire, but at the same thing, it's still a production uh, business. And so I remember... Uh, like the second day uh, at Digital Domain, we, we, every other Tuesday, we have our internal production meeting where we go through all the shows that we're working on, all the shows that we're bidding on. Mm -hmm. And I got to say that production meeting felt exactly the same as the post-production meeting that we used to have at, at Fox on right. Mondays. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm back home. This is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, and, you know. I like movies and I like the movie business. I've, I've, this, this is my home. This is where I, this is where I really feel, um, feel great. You know, that I'm working here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it was actually a very easy transition for me. I mean, and, and, and what did help me is that, that, that we did quite a bit of visual effects related work when I was at Fox. Sure. Uh, I think that really kind of helped, helped me kind of prepare for this. Obviously I'm not a, uh, visual effects expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but we obviously have a very deep bench of, of those types of people here. And I, and I think I can really help with the technology strategy and um, and also with my systems engineering background. I think that's really helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Well, digital domain is always, you know, they were always kind of uh, uh, not only Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat of a te technology forward looking places, risk takers in technology yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but also very much like always tended to do things a little bit outside the norm. Mm -hmm. uh, is that, do you feel that that is still part of the, uh, the fabric of what digital domain is today? Oh yeah. And, and I think that's probably true, you know, for, for all the major, you know, visual effects studios, you know, our friends and competitors at the same time, uh, you know, we're all trying to constantly push the envelope and, you know, and, and, and really help, you know, uh, propel the story forward, right? Sure. Things that weren't, that weren't really feasible or possible 10 years ago, they are now possible. And, but again, you, you, you're doing all of that in the service of the story. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we're, we're very famous for our digital human work mm -hmm. and, you know, facial animation. Uh, and, you know, and, and actually we've been, um, uh, applying machine learning technology here for for many years now. Uh, yes. That actually started with uh, Thanos uh, for Avengers uh, Infinity War in, in uh, I want to say, 2017, 2018, mm -hmm. in that time frame. So we've been using machine learning for six, seven years here already. Mm -hmm. and, and I think especially now, like we delivered She-Hulk last year, uh, you know, 
where we had a ton of um, uh, shots where, you know, Tatiana Maslany, you know, uh, representing the character of She-Hulk there, she had to look real. She had to look like a person. Yes, she was very tall and, 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 and you know, uh, powerful and what have you. But at the end of the day, she was a woman, you know, right. with emotions and with, you know, and we really wanted to make sure that the performance that Tatiana gave, that we actually really could get this across to the to the viewers and uh, to the audience in a, in, in a way that's believable. So she had to look like a, a real human being. And we had, you know, tons and tons of shots here. I think 1,400 shots or so with her uh, in there. And uh, so we used a lot of machine learning technology to really get this across because otherwise with this amount of work, we would, would have never been able to deliver the show uh, with so where did the machine well, learning apply itself specifically on character uh, stuff? Uh, uh, especially in, in the facial animation. Okay. So, so basically, so she gave this performance, you know, and she obviously had a, uh, the helmet camera and the dots on her face and whatever. But in the past, you would basically use that and create a 3D model, you know, and, and you know, have an art, army of artists basically putting all this together. Right. Uh, but now we're actually doing two things. We're using machine learning, which is what we started to do with um, with Thanos. With Thanos uh, to create the three D model of 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 his head, of his face. Okay. Uh, but then we would still animate it in the background, right, and and stuff like that. And still, you have a lot of animators doing a lot of detailed work there, even though it was driven by his performance. But there were still, you know, lots of details that we had to add. Uh, mm -hmm. But with She Hulk, because of because of the sheer number of shots that we were, that we needed to deliver, uh, and the, the the realism that we needed to get out of this, we just had to automate this more and more and more. Right. Uh, and and so really reduce the the amount of of touch ups that we needed to do. And yeah. We you know with 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 human animators, and we've been pushing this this technology forward uh, in a big way. We actually after She Hulk, we actually did work for a. Uh, uh, for a game called The Quarry um, okay. by Supermassive Games. And there we had like 30 hours of facial capture data. Wow. <laughs> and and we actually have pushed this now so far that only a small fraction of those of that data actually had to be manually, uh, you know, augmented. We could use over 90% of the machine learning data as is out of the box without any further, without any further uh, uh, rework. And it looks fantastic. I mean, right. it's like if you've seen this game, check it out. It's like the the human characters there; they look as close to photoreal as they can as they can in a in a game engine environment. It's it's really fantastic work. Yeah, I mean, working in digital images, I used to I worked in DD back in the day, but I know that the enormous amount of everybody work that, I meet said, "Oh yeah, I used to work at DD." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like it's a good like, no, it's a good place to get you to 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 you know. <laughs> to learn your your, your yeah, craft yeah. but there was a there was i mean there was a huge amount of work that's put in you know you get a digital human the model of the face is only the first step it was like huge amount of blend shapes and fact shapes and all these different things that were done yeah. but it sounds like now like almost all of that processing is done automatically <laughs> yeah so we yes that's that's true so for example right now we're we're looking at using ai machine learning to help with uh, body movements, for example, and, and okay. automating that and animating that. Um, 
uh, one thing that we just recently uh, uh, did, and we actually started, we're using it in shows now, is using machine learning to simulate cloth deformation. Mm-hmm. So as a character, as the rig and the, the, the digital body moves, you know, the clothing has to be, has to move with it. Sure. Uh, in the in the past, that's, you know, character effects and, you know, a lot of people yep. kind of manually kind of helping with things. But now uh, we're able to to apply machine learning to this and and really rapidly accelerate uh, that process. And, you know, and the truth be told is that there's limited, you know, storytelling value in, in, in making a cloth, you know, look realistic. It just needs to look realistic. And so it's actually great that we have this technology and we can do that so our artists actually can focus not on the mechanical part of making something look right, but is who is this character? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? What's the story here? And how do sure. I tell that story? I think that's what that's we want to what's what we want to enable people and, and our artists to do. Yeah, I mean that's that is very interesting. And I you know, obviously uh you've had some interest in machine learning for a long time yeah. uh, and you've been thinking about this uh, right now there is a lot of uh, controversy over it <laughs> shall we say yeah. um, you know there's certain parts of the industry that does not want machine learning because they feel that's going to make their take their jobs away or mm-hmm. make you know they won't need them as much you know and, yeah. and that includes anywhere from writing to concept artists to everything else how what is I mean obviously machine learning is not something that you are shy about <laughs> and yeah. you feel that it serves uh, its need in the industry. What, how do you feel that there can be some conversation in the entertainment industry at large where machine learning can be seen as beneficial to filmmaking process? Yeah. So in my opinion, and like I said earlier, I think it's just another tool in the toolbox and people really need to look at it as a tool in the toolbox. Sure. The tool in and of itself doesn't make anything, doesn't do anything. It's still humans using the tool. Right. Uh, and, and I think if you focus on this, that aspect, I think uh, that kind of helps frame the discussion in the right way. And like I said, I think what we're looking at is we really, at the end of the day, I'm trying to help liberate our artists from the mundane you know, from the boring aspects of their work. I want them to be excited about coming to work every day and doing the cool stuff, you right. know, taking this particular character and making them, you know, do, you know, crazy things or amazing things, uh, you know, turn, you know, uh, you know, like in She-Hulk, you know, turn this, this, turn this, this, this natural, you know, regular, not, not regular, I mean, she's an amazing <laughs> woman, but turn her into the superhero character, you know? Sure. Uh, you know, that that's, uh, how do you do that? And what's what does she feel, right? What, did, what goes through a person like that when you go through a transformation like this? How do I get that on the screen? How do I tell that story to to the audience? I think that's, that's what we want them to focus on, uh, you know, and be emotionally invested in this. And, and, uh, and, and so they have less, that they have less uh, time or need less time to think about the mechanical aspects of it. You know, how how does, how does this physically work? Right. And also I think it'll also allow us to um, do a lot more work than we're doing today. Right. So for example, we would do, we would actually love to do a lot more work with animals, but that is a lot of, you know, time and resources to create a library of animals. Okay. If we can, uh, leverage, you know, um, uh, machine learning to do that. That's great. 
or a water simulation, for example. Sure. Um, that doesn't, the, to make the water naturalistic, that's not really telling a story, right? The story is how, how much water is it, how impactful is it, and that sort of thing. But whether the bubbles are, or the, the, you know, the waves kind of moving through this uh, realistically or not, that's all math, that's all procedural. And so, uh, you know, if we can use machine learning to help simulate that, that's great. That's, that's what our artists want, right? Because right. that's not the part of, that's not the storytelling part. Well, with the te with the way that you know, I'm, you're aware, I'm sure, as much as anyone else, how fast and how much is yeah. happening in the last yeah. three or four months. How mm -hmm. do you look at what's going on and prioritize? Like, okay, we're going to concentrate on this problem, and then by the time you start that, there might be it might be super, <laughs> superseded by something else. Yeah, and and that's obviously that's the that's the sixty four thousand dollar question, right? Is right. It's, it's how do you pick the ones that uh, um, that 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 make the most sense? Uh, and I'm looking at this in in two categories. One is, yes, this this technology is very promising and very interesting, but yep. there's you know a number of other people already working on it, like our tool vendors, for example. Sure. Uh, you know, whether it's a foundry or side effects or Autodesk or Adobe, I mean, they're all obviously focusing heavily on, on how do how do we use machine learning and AI? As are we at Chaos. Know, in, 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 that, in that toolkit, you know, that they all provide. Uh, so so we're, we're trying to stay on top of that, but in a mm -hmm. sense of, okay, they're already developing it, so we don't have to develop it in-house and right. spend time and resources on that. And then in parallel, then now we're trying to figure out actually Okay, like, for example, with our facial animation, you know, what are the things that are kind of unique to a place like us and where we can actually really differentiate from, from our competition? And so, so we have uh, several things in the works right now, uh, which I want to talk about in a, yeah, of course. In a podcast here at the moment. But uh, there, there are things uh, that, that we're working on that, that we feel really excited about. Uh, and, and, but, but to your point, we have to figure out how to fail fast and fail often. Mm -hmm. uh, but also we need to have, uh, yeah, and we have a decision uh, uh, process in, in place actually at DD to really make decisions very rapidly and be able to, to react very rapidly. I think really the great news is that we have a, a really good group of, of experts here. And like I said, we've been working with this technology for many years now. And so we have a good, good bench of, of people that really understand it very well and are excited about, you know, working with it. And so... So they're all really busy uh, sure. right now, you know, uh, working on these things. But like, like I said, we we have some some stuff in the work that, that in the works that we're very excited about. What is, what is some of the hardest things to to ramp up a, a project like that to do a machine learning? Is it is it finding the right people, or as you mentioned, or you were just mentioning, or is it you know does it just take a huge amount of compute to to learn to to teach the machines uh, or teach the process uh, uh, or what, what is the, what is the hardest part of, of a project like that? Uh, it, it's kind of a little bit, two things. It's uh, one is, um, uh, is the human resources, you know, the people mm -hmm. that, that you have working on this and, and especially because right now there's such a gold rush when it comes to generative AI and machine learning technology. So it's, it's hard to find people, and and we're we're doing a lot to to try to retain the ones that we have, right? Um, and uh, so that's clearly a, a part. But also, I think um, you know, working with the industry, we always have a little bit of this chicken and egg issue, which is, 
well, we're working on this technology, but we really need a client and a, and a show to, to use it on. But, you know, sometimes clients are willing to, to, to go, you know, on this journey with us. And obviously that's the history of the visual effects industry that mm-hmm. very often things first get developed for a particular show and then they get utilized again and again. Right. Um, but there is always a little bit of this chicken and egg issue is, you know, is the, is the technology mature enough to actually for a show to actually take the risk on it. And, right. and so that's, that's sometimes something that we're working through, but they are, you know, we just, you know, break it into sizable, into manageable, you know, uh, uh, chunks or, you know, phases to say, okay, for this show, we're going to do it this far. And this is what we're confident we can do. And if we can, you know, get extra credit for a few more things, then great. Uh, so right. that's how we're trying to, to manage that. Yeah, yeah. And with with the ebbs and flows of the industry, as you mentioned, obviously, mm-hmm. right now, there's uh, mm-hmm. been some slowdown in the studios. Is this yeah. an opportunity <laughs> to try all kinds of new things? And to, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. We're yeah. clearly trying to take opportunity, uh, take advantage of that. Of, of right. that. But although we, we are still busy, it's not like we're not busy. Uh, sure. Uh, and so you always hope that you get a little bit of a law like this, where you can work on these other things, but we're still still really busy and trying to figure out how to compartmentalize it a little bit and manage our time so we can focus on, you know, the needs of the day, but also the, the, the more forward looking, uh, R and D parts of our, of our, of our business. Right. 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 I actually think we're managing that well. Uh, so well, that's I'm, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really great. I, uh, I think I, really what it comes down to is you really just to be very, you, you got to recognize that that's a problem that you need to solve and you really need to make sure that you're focusing on both. You're focusing on, uh, you know, the current needs of your clients, but also, you know, that, that there is room for for future innovation in R&D. Right. Are you seeing trends that, that, that you know, studios are looking for in terms of where they want to go with visual effects? Obviously, there's real time. We mentioned that. I'm going to get back to in a second. But are you seeing other trends as well? Well, I, you know, in a work for a studio, I think the studio doesn't really... At least I had never looked at it um, f- from a technology standpoint first. Where right. so typically studios don't look at it from a sense of okay, here's virtual production. What can I do with it? Sure. It's more like I have this problem. Which tool do I use to solve this problem? I have this storytelling problem, you know. And then you go and then oh, this particular one actually, yeah, uh, you know, we should shoot this in front of an LED screen and because because for 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 you know, a number of reasons. And um, uh, so, so that's, I think, where typically where people are coming from. And that's also, that also at the end of the day separates the technologies that, you know, get used long-term versus technologies that don't. Uh, right. At the end of the day, what's, what services the story? I keep saying it. Uh, that's at the end of the day. And obviously also what, what helps us save money, you know, what, and that's either, you reduce the uh, your schedule. You, you reduce your artist hours. You you, you reduce your shooting days. Uh, that's clearly always something that that uh, studios are looking for. Those are the things that we're looking for uh, as well when we're looking at new technology. I mean, uh, what makes us more competitive? You know, and basically sure. that means is we can do the same amount of work with less people in less time. That's why right. because our our cost, uh, you know, is clearly mostly in the artist hours. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, technology and infrastructure, all that also drives cost, but not by far not as much as, as, as the artist component. 
So that is also one of your biggest motivations for machine learning is to reduce your artist errors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, automating things uh, sure. and, and, and having, but then if you look at the history of visual effects, though, is, uh, you know, in the beginning, you had only a few shots of visual effects and then a few shots of digital visual effects, and then you got more and more and more. You know, even if you even look at like something like uh, Jurassic Park, I mean, there obviously were a lot of visual effect shots in there, but not not as much as as you have now. Where, you know, some you know modern, uh, you know, contemporary you know motion pictures, every shot has some form of a visual effect in it, and that was right. clearly not a case with something like uh, Jurassic Park and when was that nineteen ninety two, where they used a lot of practical, you know, um, uh, effects and, and and props and animatronics and that sort of thing to to get that story across, and so. That's clearly what we're going to keep seeing is that, uh, you know, uh, this new technology is just going to help enhance the story even more and more and, and things will look more realistic. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, with, with, with some movies, you can actually see that, you know, they kind of went a little bit overboard with the, with, the, with the visual effects and then sometimes ran out of time or ran out of resources and couldn't really finish it the way that they wanted to. And you see it on screen when you're sitting there. And so, um, uh, and uh, that's why I think this, this technology actually allows us to manage our schedules better and, and deliver on time and on budget and deliver to the quality that the client expects. Um, so I think that's really where machine learning comes from. I think it doesn't necessarily end up using, you know, the, the amount of artist hours that we actually utilize. It'll just enable them to do more and do a high quality, higher quality job. I think right. than we did before. Well, it's the same, it's the same thing we always used to joke about in visual effects back in the day. It's like render times never go down because we just keep adding more stuff to it. <laughs> right. And, and you add more characters, you add right. more background, you add yeah. more environments, right? You, you add more props and, and more effects on the props and, and everything. And so that's, that's typically what ends up happening. That's uh, actually called Blin's law. It's like Moore's law, but Blin's law It's a reverse Moore's law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And actually, uh, I can tell you when I was in, in 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 digital television, it was the same thing with bandwidth. You provide more bandwidth, they figure out a way to fill right. it. Oh, the, great! Now 4K, <laughs> now HDR, <laughs> more channels, high def, uh, and then 4K HDR, what have you. Yeah. yeah, it's always the same. You you provide capacity, the the cap capacity gets filled. Yeah. Well, I've, if you were one of the key people that pushed for HDR on televisions, then I'm going to thank you profusely because I think it adds way more value to television than anything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the reason why, because at the time, you know, television manufacturers would come to us and uh, ask us to support 4K. And we were like saying, well, the, the additional resolution doesn't really help. 8K now. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so... Because if you look at the actual transition from standard def to high definition television, which I, you know, was a part of when I was at DirecTV, right. uh, a large part of this wasn't actually the resolution, but the widescreen aspect ratio. You right. watch, you know, a game in, in that wider aspect ratio actually, you know, covers more of the field and makes it more immersive for you. Right. Uh, and so high resolution is, is only part of the story and it's never the only part of the story. And so that's why then we went back to uh, the TV manufacturers and for Fox that started with uh, Samsung, but then we created the 
the the UHD alliance where all the major studios were part of it and um and uh, besides Samsung, LG, uh, Panasonic, and Sony became a part. And then we said to really create a richer experience for the audience, we have to add high dynamic range, and right. we have to add you know Dolby Atmos uh, sound and that sort of thing. And so so we got all that done. Actually, really happy with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I love the fact that I can look at my images now, and the brights are bright, but the shadows are detailed so it's just yeah, exactly it's, i mean like the, the the detail in the sky for example you know very yeah. often that's totally blown out and, and now yep. you can actually really have detail yeah in, in things like sky yeah really really great yeah. um uh i want to get back to you know sort of uh, adding more stuff on the screen and all those problems because mm -hmm. i was sort of you know when i was in the visual effects industry uh back in the day i remember that transition where uh they were moving away from rasterized rendering uh, into ray tracing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there were several problems that were being solved through that process. One is that ray tracing eventually was able to include a whole lot more geometry. So you didn't need to optimize things for geometry, et cetera. Uh, you also didn't have to write enormous amount of shaders to fake all the different effects that were done naturally from ray tracing. Mm -hmm. And we went through that process and it was sort of around between 2006 to 2009 where I started to see almost every visual effects studio making that transition. Mm -hmm. So today now we're going sort of into the real-time aspect that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I yeah. want to figure out what it is. But that problem is back again. Like we're rendering shadow maps again and we're doing rasterized rendering and we're doing faking things to try to make them look right. And so uh, yeah. the benefit obviously of real time, well, it's real time, so you don't have to wait for the render. But do you think that there's going to be you know, more demand on terms of the quality of real time? Because you know, with, with the old offline rendering, you can still render a whole lot more and make things look a lot better, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we are, you know, mostly for the work that we deliver, we still use, uh, you know, offline rendering. Sure. Um, so uh, that, that's, and, and I'm not sure to what extent that's going to go away uh, and to what extent that even has to go away. I think in terms of like a, a traditional visual effects workflow, the benefit of using real time is that you immediately see the result. Right. Right. You don't you don't program a shader and, and apply it and, and do all the texturing and what have you. And then you have to send it off to a render farm and, and wait for hours for the result to come back and then say, oh, my God, I need to change this a little bit and send it back. So you can iterate a lot faster with with real time technology. But that's 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 only part of um, uh, part of the story. I think, again, it really it's, you know, it's a tool in the toolbox and, and, and it depends on the application. So it's not a black and white answer that all of a sudden real time is going to take over uh, entirely. Um, clearly uh, in previous, there's a lot of application for, for real time. Uh, and again, they are, you know, time is, is off the essence typically. I mean, very often our turnover uh, time for, for previous shots is, is days, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. they want something in a few hours and the expectation is you can deliver it. Uh, and for that kind of stuff, game engine technology, and it's been around in that particular field for quite a while, you know, is, is, is being used quite a bit because you can iterate very, very fast. And sometimes you can actually iterate with the client on a, on a video call with you and you make the changes right. on, on the fly. Uh, actually, even going back to, uh, you know, my days at Fox uh, with the Call of the Wild, uh, you know, because at the time we wanted to create this this transmedia environment and also actually the studio 
kind of was struggling to figure out whether to make the movie or not. And right. uh, and so what we ended up doing actually, you, you meant uh, Glenn Deary earlier, so the the Fox VFX lab, which was headed by Glenn at the time, actually did a full previous version of that movie. The entire mm. the entire film, every single shot was previous in in Unreal. Um, and uh, and we we actually saw huge benefits of of doing it that way in production sure. design, for example. Um, and so because the process was so the production designer would go through his normal process with, you know, we had clay and wooden models. We had, you know, uh, physical, you know, uh, characters on, on these physical rotating turntables and that sort of thing. We had all that, but then we had to put all this into the game engine and then the, the, the production designer would look at, you know, the digital version of this. And uh, and then he would say, well, this building needs to be a little bit bigger or to the left and that window needs to move. And then, you know, the artist would just click, click and move it and do the change with right there. Yeah. And, and so what happened was after a while, uh, the production design team that we had on that movie, they actually started designing in the engine directly. Right. They figured out that they didn't have to go through all the physical world stuff first. No, you can actually design it right there in the engine. And so, and again, you can iterate faster. I think that's a benefit. But in terms of actual creating final pixel out of the out of uh, game engine technology, I think so for a while, I think uh, depending on the show, like for for a high end show, I think where we're going to see that is is in uh, you know virtual production uh, first and foremost. So basically, something being captured in front of a uh, uh, an LED wall, you know, right. in camera visual effects. Uh, there, I think, virtual uh, real-time technology is there today. Because most of the time, it's background, right? It's a little bit out of focus. Sure. It doesn't have to be kind of that as photoreal as you, as you would expect it normally. And for that, I think that... that, that... I disagree. I'll, I'll ex let me explain what I'm going okay. <laughs> just a little bit. Right. I think that there's... I think that uh, that there is definitely room for 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 higher quality lighting that could happen in the background out of focus, um, and I believe absolutely in real time. But I believe it as a ray trace solution as opposed to a rasterized solution. That's really what it comes down to for me, and that's something that I'm uh, actually working on very directly. So obviously, I'm passionate about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and by the way, I did. Uh, I would have kind of, uh, you know evolved that, that thought a little bit further. So that's right. the that's the application for that that where we're at today. Right. right? But especially as uh uh you know GPU technology keeps improving and gets better, I yeah. think we will get to a point where we will see more and more photoreal results out of out of game game engine technology. And you know um and I think the holy grail for me there by the way is gonna be can you create believable digital humans with this technology that's where it all breaks apart all the time yeah, absolutely uh so so environments you know if you have a, like a rocky surface or or you know hard surfaces of some sort uh even today that actually is already pretty you know believable but but you know animal and human motion uh muscle deformation but especially you know the look and feel uh the look depth of the skin you know, yeah. and how that reflects light, uh, and, you know, subsurface, uh, you know, refraction and, and, and reflections and that sort of thing. That's where I think feel, and also with the animation, especially with the muscle deformation, facial deformations and so on, that's where we're still falling a little bit short uh, yeah. today, I think. 
But at the same time, also machine learning will help. Mm-hmm. And it'll be really interesting. Uh, and it'll be really interesting where this industry goes and whether actually real time in 3D is where we're going to go. Or especially real time machine learning. <laughs> If you think about this, that's actually something I've been struggling with is, uh, and I think there's going to be application for both. Right. If you, for example, want to create a, uh, an animated show of some sort, um, I think in the near future or the next couple of years, I think you, you will be able to get away with just having, you know, a series of storyboards with a script, with a dialogue and everything else. And there's kind of, Technology even today that kind of shows the first kind of foray into this, where you basically just use that, and then the 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 AI f- fills in all the in betweens and uh, right. animates this for you. So there's not even a need to go to 3D anymore. You just have 2D storyboards with a script, and right. it fills in the rest, and all because of uh, the power to, of of machine learning. So uh, that'll be interesting, you know. 2D versus 3D at some point, depending on the type of show, depending on what your application is, I think we're going to see that uh, evolve in, in in interesting ways. Yeah, I'm saying so. So, sort of getting back to sort of the virtual production, even AI, and everything we've just discussed yeah. so far. You know, visual digital domain was a post production place in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. now it seems that because of all this technology, and you are working with art departments, etc., that you're yeah. much more involved in the production from all points, like not just like being part of it. You're not just making final pixels. You're making pre-pixels, production pixels, and post-pixels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I think that's exciting. That's what's exciting about this technology, or our industry, actually, is this the the um, uh, production process constantly is evolving and right. getting better. Uh, yeah, so for example, if you look at, uh, at virtual production, I think one key aspect for the creative team, actually, is if you're on set, you know, your actors and your director and your, and your uh, cinematographer, you all kind of see what the end product is going to look like. And very yeah. often, you know, what you capture there is pretty much good to go. Um, and, and even if it's not 100% there, it'll be 80, 90% there. It's still going to be something right. that's truly totally relatable to the people that are shooting it on set. Yeah. And I think that's really an interesting uh, aspect of it. But it, totally turns the production process up t- up, uh, upside down, right? Like you right. said, I mean, you, there's a lot of decisions that we would make in post-production now actually have to be made before you, you, you go on set. And uh, that you think has, that's a good thing? <laughs> uh, I think in, in a number of ways, it's a good thing, but it changes how people need to think about it. And sure. it's, it's, it's a transition, like even you know, studio executives haven't necessarily, and creatives haven't necessarily wrapped their heads around it, right. uh, and you know what the benefits of this are. Uh, you know, it used to be, oh, we'll just fix it in post. Don't worry about it. Uh, and and now you, if you make certain decisions before you shoot it, uh, it's harder to fix it. In, I mean, you can still fix it in post, but now you've already incurred all this cost in the pre-production. Right. And now you still need to incur significant uh, cost to fix it in post. That's a little bit of a concern, I think, for some sure. for some productions. But but again, with good planning and with good execution, you minimize that risk, right? I mean, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that excites me about real time uh, is that you know having worked in in, in in visual effects way back in the day, 
you would sit there and you would show something and the director's like, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. Can you do this, do that? And it's like, sure. And then they come back next week and then you see the next version and it just took forever, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, if it, and, yeah. in, and in real time, it's like they're more involved in the actual filmmaking. They feel empowered. And I, I feel that the, that that it's uh, making them feel like they're part of the process again because I think for a lot of yeah. times visual effects they felt that they were kind of removed from the process and that's why they didn't like working in visual effects because mm -hmm. they weren't part of the filmmaking anymore yeah well I mean I, I, I wouldn't say that we weren't part of the filmmaking anymore but clearly but back in the day I mean I think they are now right <laughs> yeah but but clearly yeah I mean we, we clearly see this now where um yeah, where we where we can actually have more input into into the creative process than than, than maybe we used to. Yeah. I guess that is true. But again, like with everything else, whether it's real time or virtual production or what have you, it just keep coming back to the this that it's just another tool in the toolbox. So we're not all of a sudden going to do everything in real time all of a sudden. Sure. Or we're not going to do everything in just one engine, for example. There's still going to be a pipeline. There's still going to be modeling tools that, you know, maybe come from somewhere else and we're still going to use, you know, simulation tools like Houdini, for example, you know, sure. uh, to, to, to create certain aspects of things. And then there's going to be a new tool that's going to do this other thing right. better than everything else. And so, so yeah, it, it's all these toys to play with, but yeah. they, they never really go away. I mean, we even still have shows with, you know, with practical sets and with practical props and with practical effects. I mean, that still right. happens, right? I mean, even though let's say now, for example, you know, you know, putting stuff on fire or having it explode or something, that's typically now uh, a post effect, right? Very sure. rarely do they do this uh, on set anymore because it's just, you know, dangerous <laughs> and unpredictable and, and, you know, and, and, you're doing it in post, you know, you have full control over what's happening. Sure, 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 sure. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, Digital Main uh, has always had a history of working really well there with their partners, uh, their technology partners. And I don't mm -hmm. think that those times yeah. have not yeah. changed. I know that Chaos has been uh, very happy to be sort of working with you guys for a long time. What What is it the thing that's important to you when you guys, when you're working with a technology partner, uh, uh, you know, be it uh, Epic or, or Chaos or... Who are Houdini side effects, whatever. What what are the things that you you look forward to, and or try to make sure that 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 communication is strong? Well, it's kind of two things. Either it's something that a client comes to us and needs solved, and and again, it's in the service of uh, uh, you know telling the story, or you know a big part of my job here right now is uh, how can we be more efficient, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and uh, and you know. Yeah, whatever tools are out there to make us more efficient, I'm all for it. Right, um, right. Because it allows us to do more. Right. Like, like again, it wouldn't be um, a, a matter of us employing less artists. It would actually be actually two things. How can we scale better and actually employ more artists than we can today? There's some some limits that, that we're hitting sometimes today, but we, even with that. But 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 then also, yeah. How how do we scale? How do we do more? You know, with the group that we have, sure. So uh, uh, I think that's that that's really what we're looking at more than anything else. Great, great. Well, as we're coming towards the end, I mean, I know I know there's only so much you can tell because obviously mm -hmm. you have to keep some of your some of the technology developing and under rest. But mm -hmm. what are the things you think are going to like? What do you, where do you see the direction like five years from now? It's 
it's so hard to predict with everything that's going on with AI and machine learning. Where do you think five years from now, do you, you know, you mentioned like how an animation could be done with just storyboards and a script in yeah. some ways. Yeah. What do you, what other things do you think would could possibly be happening in five years? Yeah. Uh, I got to say, I'm actually a little worried about, you know, five years out. I'm not really <laughs> sure in terms of, you know, being able to predict it with any type of uh, certainty because, uh, um, and maybe worried is the wrong word. It's just I'm I'm not certain I could predict something over, sure. over the next five years because things are moving and changing so rapidly. Right. Uh, but even over the next two years, I think uh, um, we will see generative AI everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of uh, you know a, a virtual assistant that can basically help you with anything. You know whether that's writing an email or or a document, whether that's you know, creating concept art, whether that's uh, you know creating geometry and animating things and, and what have you. So all aspects, writing code. I mean that's already a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing scripts. Uh, so I think it'll permeate our entire workflow from A to Z, and even mm-hmm. our you know administrative uh, you know part of our work. You know finance, uh, accounting human resources, what have you, I think all these things will be permeated by, by uh, AI-driven assistance. And I'm very specifically calling it assistance because I think that's what it is. It's not replacing my job or like an accountant's right. job, is assisting them doing a better job and, and doing a more efficient job. I think that's, 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 that's the way I see it. And it's the same I- for artists, yeah. Yeah, I, I listened to a really interesting podcast with uh, uh, a CTO of Microsoft, and he was mm-hmm. talking about how they're insisting on calling them co-pilots yeah. <laughs> for that exact yeah. reason, right? Yeah. So, so I think that's interesting as well. Yeah, and I, you I, see I, those assistants happening in production as well, like in, in this kind of way, right? Yeah, yeah. So, for example, for production, I'm pretty sure, and we've seen this already a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. There's companies out there that do this. But do a script breakdown, for example. I mean, clearly right. that seems ripe for for the application of, of machine learning of some sort. Right. Just feed it, you know, a thousand scripts and the breakdowns that already exist for those, and there's got to be a better outcome here. Yeah, to finding yeah. all the yeah. oh, you got to yeah. plan for this and plan yeah. for that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Well, Hannah, thank you so much. This fascinating conversation, uh, and thanks for having sure. uh, being on. I, I'm very excited about what's what's your thoughts are on 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 the future of technology in the visual effects industry. Uh, and it was uh, was great having you on. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, Chris. This has been great, and thank you for the great questions and for the dialogue. Actually, you know, but it wasn't just a one-sided conversation. Yeah, I love this. This is great. Thank you. Mm-hmm.